Luke 24, 49 through 53. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Trinity. It's great to be here on this um, Pentecost Sunday. Well, as I just said, it's, it's Pentecost Sunday. Today is the day um, that churches around the world and throughout history have remembered and are celebrating the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the church. However, last Sunday in the church calendar is pretty easily forgotten by most, even though Pentecost Sunday doesn't make any sense without it. So last Sunday in the calendar was Ascension Sunday. It's the day that we remember Jesus' ascension. But I want, I want you to ask yourself, when was the last time you thought about Jesus' ascension? See, as the church, we, we typically, when we think about Jesus' life, we think about his, his birth, his life and ministry, his death, his burial, and then his resurrection, um, but it, it's so easy for us to um, forget or kind of just skip over Jesus' ascension. And maybe the only time that we think about it is when maybe we are reciting the Apostles' Creed and we kind of briefly confess it in that one line. But for Luke, as we just read in, um, as he ends his gospel account, um, the ascension is central to the telling of the gospel story and understanding the person of Jesus. It's actually kind of Luke's grand finale as the gospel is ended. See, now, Luke ends with Jesus leaving, that Jesus is, is gone. His presence turns to absence, so we have to then ask the question, like, how would we feel, how would you feel if someone you loved, someone you depended on, enjoyed, is now gone? Like, n now what? Like, for the disciples, um, this is what they're facing with the ascension of Jesus. See, we, we would think that then the natural response for the disciples would be one of grief, one of what's going to happen next. Something that might be similar to what just happened after Jesus died on the cross and they didn't know what they were going to do. However, that's not the reaction that we see from the disciples. So if you look at verse 52, it says, And they worshipped him and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Did I, did I miss something? Like, Jesus leaves, the one who they love, the one who they depended on, and they rejoice. See, now, it, it's fascinating because when, 
when someone that we love, someone who we enjoy, someone who we depend on, leaves, it doesn't normally bring us joy. Instead, we feel abandoned. Now, Jesus' ascension or his, his absence, it doesn't make the disciples feel abandoned, but rather it actually brings them great joy. And so the question that we ask this morning is how? Like, how does, how is it even possible that Jesus' absence can bring great joy to the disciples? Now, we today, um, because of the ascension, we feel his absence. We, we don't feel like Jesus is always present with us. And, and even reading this account from the Gospel of Luke, it, it makes us ask follow-up questions like, was the joy that the disciples had just something that they felt? Like, I feel like Jesus is absent from me today. Is it possible for me at all to have that kind of a reaction, that kind of worship to Jesus' absence? Or did the disciples know something um, that I don't know, or maybe something that I easily forget. And, and Luke, in his telling of the gospel, um, and even as he moves into Acts, which is kind of part two of his story, um, he wants the answer to be yes. That, that yes, it is possible, because Jesus ascended, to have that same joy. Yes, it's possible for us to kind of understand some of the things that the disciples knew at that time. And so this morning, um, I, I, want to, I want to look at um, two main points that really help us understand um, what the disciples knew that we may easily forget that can bring us the same joy. One is absence, and two is presence. So if you are note takers or you like outlines, I got a simple two-point outline that you can follow your notes in. So one is absence, two is presence. So first we see that the disciples, they have great joy because Jesus' absence means that he's going to do something that only Jesus can do in only the place that Jesus can do it, namely the heavenly throne. And second, we're going to see that the disciples have great joy because Jesus is actually not abandoning them, but he's actually doing the very opposite in a, in a fascinating way, that he is actually moving closer with his presence into them because and through the sending and the work of the Holy Spirit. So, Absence. Let's start with that and by specifically looking at verse 51 to see why Jesus' absence produces worship and great joy in the disciples. So looking at verse 51, you're going to see this phrase that Jesus is carried up into heaven. Now, if you, if you have your Bibles, you can also right now flip to or just listen to Ephesians chapter 1. This is verses 20 through 22, and here it gives a little more clarity and importance on um, Jesus ascending up into heaven to the throne. So Ephesians 1 verse 20, that he, God, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him 
at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. So here we see that that Jesus ascends in order to rule as king and lord over every authority, every dominion, every name, all things. That Jesus is not just lord of the church, but he is lord of your parenting. He's lord of your marriage. He's lord of your job. He's lord of the state we live in, the country that we have. He's lord of our president. He's lord of every country and every government across the world. That Every square inch of the world is under the authority and the reign of Jesus as king. Now, Jesus also, he has a, you can think about this, he has a physical body and can physically only be in one place at one time, and he chooses to reign for our good and for the good of the world as Lord of the universe on his throne in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. Now, in, a, in addition to kind of reigning as Lord over all of the earth, First um, John chapter 2, verse 1, it tells us that Jesus, he's our advocate to God the Father. And then in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it reminds us that while Jesus is on the throne, he's also not just our advocate, but he's interceding for us to God the Father. So as our advocate, you can think of it like that he is our lawyer to God. He is showing him that his death on the cross um, paid for our sins and that we don't have to be punished for that. And then as our intercessor, that he's actually praying for us to overcome sin and to know the love of God, that, that in power and justice, Jesus is, he's representing us, and he guarantees our forgiveness and acceptance. And so it's on the heavenly throne that Jesus is doing only what Jesus can do in only the place that Jesus can do it. Now, th- this is why in the gospel of John, in chapter 20, this is after the resurrection, You see Mary clinging to Jesus, and then he says to her, Mary, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. That Jesus has a physical body, and then he needs to go to his heavenly throne to do what only he can do. Now, the U.S. um, White House, it has this similar picture of power for us, uh, or the power of a place um, where an individual leads from. Now, there's no official rule written anywhere that the president actually has to live in the White House. However, every president from the second president has actually um, lived in the White House as their primary resident. Now, this is a a 55,000 square foot 
building with 132 rooms and 35 bathrooms for all of our presidents except our first president, George Washington, who didn't live there because he was simply the one that secured the location and then it, it took eight years to build it. Now, Evan Pfeiffer, he's a historian for the White House Historical Association, and he says there's two things that keep presidents primarily living in the White House. One is the symbol, that the White House is so linked with the national symbol to the presidency. And two is, is in the White House, everything is there, that they have the security and all the working space and relationships to accommodate a working president. So for Jesus, the, the heavenly throne, as with the, the U.S. president and the White House, um, it's the physical location where Jesus gets things done. It's where he reigns from. And, and, and think about this, is that, that thank goodness that Jesus is not in my living room right now, hanging out at my house to be my best friend, to make me feel good about myself, which most of the time I might think I want him there kind of being next to me in sweats or something. But like, thank goodness he's not there. It's a good thing that Jesus is actually ruling the world from his heavenly throne, that he's doing what only Jesus can do in the only place that he can do it. See, at the ascension, the disciples knew this, and this is one of the reasons that it gave them great joy. See, to know that Jesus, he is in control of the world, that he's reigning as Lord from his throne, it should also be something that is comforting to us, that we don't have to like walk out our front doors thinking that we are ultimately in control of everything in our lives and the world around us. Like, we can actually walk out our front doors and let go of this imaginary power that we think that we have and give control, really, or let us acknowledge the control that Jesus has over our lives and the peace and the comfort that actually comes from that. That, that He is in control of our parenting that we want to grasp so hard of. Or he's in control of our marriages, that he's in control of our jobs, he's in control of the county that we live in, the state that we live in, he's in control of our, our president, our country, all the governments across the world. Jesus is Lord over them, and we can actually trust that he knows what he's doing. See, it's easy for us to see that Jesus is physically absent. Um, but the disciples in, in Luke 24, they also know that the ascension means that Jesus is not and has not abandoned them, but that his presence is actually moving even closer through the sending of the Holy Spirit, which is one of the main things that we celebrate on a day like Pentecost Sunday in the church calendar. So I want you to look with me now at verse 49 back in the text. And it says, 
And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, from Acts chapters 1 and 2, we know that the ascension took place 40 days after um, Jesus' resurrection, and then Pentecost, Pentecost took place 10 days later on the 50th day after Jesus' resurrection. So Jesus here in, in verse 49, he's telling the disciples, as he also said in John chapters 14 and 16, that he has to leave the ascension, but that after he leaves, that every single follower of Christ will be given the Holy Spirit, Pentecost. Now, John chapter 14, verses 18 through 20, it then explains that even though Jesus is physically gone, that, that we will not see him, that it will be through the Holy Spirit that he will live in us and we live in him. Or, or in other words, as the Holy Spirit is present in every single baptized Christian, so Jesus is also spiritually present in us, because in some mysteriously Trinitarian way where the Holy Spirit is, there also is Jesus the Son and God the Father. Now, that might be kind of stretching our minds in, in certain categories of the physical and the spiritual, but, but know this, that when the disciples in verse 49, they heard that Jesus was leaving they knew that he was going to be physically absent so that his presence could actually move closer into their lives. They knew that they could not actually physically take the resurrected Jesus with them everywhere that they went, but because of the sending of the Holy Spirit, Jesus would be present with them at all times that he would actually be as present with them as their own breath. Now, many of us as, as children, we, we grew up maybe using the common phrase, I've asked Jesus into my heart. Now, I'm sure even some of you that are parents or Sunday school teachers, you've even used that, own, that phrase um, with your children or the children that you teach. Now, if we're going to kind of look through our whole Bibles, there, you're not going to f hear or find that phrase anywhere in the Scriptures. However, it's because of the ascension that you can actually, that we can actually use that phrase in a very biblical way. See, asking Jesus into your heart, it doesn't mean that you're like inviting a nice and loving Jesus to be your friend, or that somehow if you say that phrase, that you would now have assurance of your salvation after you die, you know, rather it's the concept that of asking Jesus into your heart, it means that Jesus is really present with you. He's present with you through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your lives, that, that everywhere you go, he's present with you. Because of the ascension, um, Jesus is physically, or spiritually, not physically, but he's, he's 
he's spiritually present with us, and he's not limited by time or space in a way that he is physically. Now, now some of you might be thinking, okay, great. Thank you, Pastor Adam. You've, you've now explained all these theological truths to us that, you know, Jesus is present with me through the Holy Spirit, and thank you maybe for making me feel better for using the phrase, with my children, have you asked Jesus into your heart? Um, But I still don't feel like Jesus is present, or I don't feel that great joy. It's not, that great joy is not translating to me because I don't see him. Now what? There's, there's two things that, that might help us in this situation that, that the scriptures give us. Number one is for us to actually maybe even right now feel the hand of the person next to you or, or look around the room at the people that are surrounding you because right now you are actually or we are sitting amongst the body of Christ, like the physical, visible church, that Jesus' presence, he is literally felt when you hold the hand of another Christian, or when you hear this body sing, or or when you look into the eyes of a changed and baptized person, or when your, your son or your daughter looks up at you and says, I love you. Like, this is the miracle and the mystery of the ascension, that, that Jesus is actually present in his body, the church, in a way that he could not have been before the ascension. And, and it's not just other people that are the, the, the body of Christ, that, that if you are a baptized follower of Jesus, that others actually will feel the presence, the real presence of Jesus through you. Now, the second thing that might be a little helpful for us is that Jesus knows that we, as a people, we need physical things. Like, we need signs to better grasp and feel his presence when we feel like he could be absent. And and so, beyond just the physical body of the church, he's actually given us two sacraments, or what Presbyterians like to call two signs and seals, baptism and the Lord's Supper. So in a, in a few weeks, when you, when you guys celebrate the Lord's Supper, communion, or the, the Eucharist, whatever you call it, you, you physically taste bread and wine. And, and think about this. There's nothing actually magical in the elements of bread and wine when you are tasting them. But when you actually partake of them by faith through the work of the Holy Spirit, we actually believe that Jesus is, is present with us, that he is spiritually but really present with us, that he is nourishing us and he is deepening our faith and our communion with God in a very real way. So when you recount the gospel story itself, like may the ascension not be something that we easily forget or we kind of skip over. 
And, and to help us have the ascension stick in, in our minds, something that, that's, that's helpful for us is almost to combine these two images of Jesus' absence and Jesus' presence into one. Like, it can bring us joy um, that Jesus is absent, doing only what Jesus can do in only the place that he can do it on the heavenly throne. And it can also bring us joy knowing that, that he is really present with us today through the work of the Holy Spirit. However, what's truly remarkable, and actually I would argue can bring us the most joy as it did with the disciples, is to know that the Jesus who is reigning and ruling on the heavenly throne over the whole universe as king making all things work together, is the same person who wants to know you and me and your neighbors intimately. Like, if you are a follower of Jesus, like, you mysteriously, right now, you have union with Christ the King, and He is deepening His communion with you. Like Jesus, King Jesus, he is invested in you. He's invested in this church as much as he is invested in renewing and reigning over all things. Like it, it's dumbfounding to even imagine that. And, and even reflecting on that, that staggering truth, it, it should at least give us some spark even if it's small, some spark of joy to enable us to worship. And, and if you are not a Christian or don't identify yourself as being part of the, the church, it's so great that you are here today. But even listening to something like this, it should at least um, prompt you to ask some kind of questions about how could, how could the king, the lord of, over Christianity, be that kind of a God. And, and knowing the congregation at Trinity and knowing Pastor Eric and the elders here, like it is a safe place to ask those type of questions. So if you do have those questions, like come up and talk, talk to Eric, talk to the elders, and, and really move into how could Jesus be king and at the same time want to intimately know me. So the ascension of Jesus, his, his absence and his presence, like, may it not be easily forgotten. And we, may we remember it as our source for enjoying the real presence of Jesus as the church today on this Pentecost Sunday. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you that he was born, that he lived, that he died, that he rose, and that he ascended. Uh, too often we feel like he is not present in our lives. Uh, but we know that that is a good thing. We know that he is king that he is reigning over all of the, the universe on his heavenly throne. But we also know 
that it's not a good thing that we just stick him in our pocket or we want to just stick him in our pocket or have him in our living rooms, but that he is actually present with us because of his ascension, Pentecost happened, and the Holy Spirit is indwelling in our lives, and that we can truly know you through the work of Christ and the Spirit in our lives. May you make his presence real to us today and in this church, in this visible body of Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.